1: All right, so I was gonna take a second and just uh, talk about heated high flow for a moment. So I've been doing more stuff with AirLife, and what's interesting with them is we can do heated high flow in the flights, but it's kind of a few limitations. It's harder to set up the humidification, which is needed. Um, In fact, we don't have the equipment to really do that. So we kind of try to limit it for shorter flights. But the other thing is its consumption rate through oxygen is just tremendous. And so you can really burn through a lot of oxygen. And so, if we're going to transport somebody with heated high flow, uh, there's some kind of you know pluses, minuses, and I think even just from our side in the ER, I think there's a few good talking points with heated fly flow as well. Typically, we kind of look at it that as intermediate. So, you know, there's somebody's on a nasal cannula, maybe going up to a non-rebreather. Don't look like they quite need level of BIPAP or intubation. And so, you know, we often look to that heated high flow. It's something that's relatively newer and has gained a lot of popularity, um, initially more in probably the pediatric populations, but then transposed a lot more into adult populations as well, particularly over the last eight to 10 years. And then with COVID, there have been studies supporting its use, and I think we've all seen plenty of COVID patients go on it. And so I I think we've had to kind of increase our equipment and everything else on the inpatient side to match the need, because it has been a pretty useful modality for COVID patients. Just to kind of delivery, we, we see these numbers on there. And so there's a few things to pay attention to. There's the FiO2 and there's the flow rate. And so typically if you're gonna put someone on heated high flow, you, you go to a pretty high flow rate initially, typically like 60 liters per minute rather than the kind of more four to six we're doing on a nasal cannula or, or two to six. And with that flow rate, even at a kind of room air, sometimes it's enough pressure where you can actually start to get positive end pressure and try to you know kind of get some uh, increased alveolar recruitment and open up the lungs a little bit more. And so sometimes you don't need to add a ton of oxygen to it, but it is a very high flow rate. To put it in a little context with normal breathing, when you're just kind of here sitting at rest, taking a breath, your peak inspiratory flow rates reach 30 to 40. And so you can imagine that if we're just giving someone two liters nasal cannula, that's actually not a whole lot of support. And then you take a breath in, that's 40 liters per minute kind of going down it's gonna really dilute that oxygen. So what actually gets delivered down to the alveoli, especially if you take somebody in distress where they might be more like 70 to 80 liters permitted on their inspiratory flow, that two liters is like nothing, it's completely washed out. And so if somebody's really in respiratory distress, they have alveolar collapse, as they're taking those deep breaths in and you have them on a nasal cannula, they're actually not getting very much oxygen delivered functionally at all. But with a heated high flow, what's really nice is you can match or at least get closer to matching their actual pressures and then tailor the oxygen without as much washout to get it exactly where you want. And so sometimes we still, even with 60 liters per minute, you may end up increasing their FiO2 quite a bit. But you know, if somebody's on 100% FiO2 and staying at 60 liters per minute, that's probably a pretty high setting. And if they're really sustaining that, they probably need something a little more aggressive than what you're doing with that. And then just the, the humidification is really important, especially over the long term. There's gonna be the obvious things, you're gonna dry you know, out the nose, you're gonna dry out the epistaxis way more. Then again, two liters, you know, nasal kina is not that big a deal, but if you're doing 60 liters, that's a lot of airflow, it's gonna dry things out. And lo- over the long term, if you're not giving adequate humidification, there's actually a caloric cost to the patient. So if they're already sick and septic, you know, it can be as much as like 150 calories. per minute I think is what I read, of just the cost to humidify and condition the air that you're breathing in without humidification. So adding that humidification seems like a little thing or it might just seem for comfort, um, but there's actually some benefits to the patient over the long run as well. And they're going to get increased clearance of the secretions and everything else um, that we're addressing as well. So those are just a few pearls with heated high flow that we'll see, uh, you know, we, we see it a lot more and more and we're using it on, on a lot of patients. So it's something to be aware of and look for and uh, something that kind of just, I think we should all be comfortable with. And if we're seeing patients on transport, we may find scenarios where they're coming from another facility. They were fine on heated high flow but there may have been an oxygen consumption concern. And so they might be on BiPAP or even intubated for those issues. And so something else to be familiar with. And then maybe we can deescalate to heated high flow as soon as they get here. So, all right, thanks guys. We'd like to thank
0: our sponsor, HealthOne Continental Division and Swedish Medical Center for their financial contributions to the EMM. Donations from them and listeners like you make it possible for us to fulfill our mission of producing and spreading free medical education to the masses. If you enjoy our show, please consider making a one-time or reoccurring donation to help cover our operational costs and keep the EMM awesome. Click on the link in our show notes to make a donation. Thank you for listening.